As you're being seated, if you would please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's going to be page 1178. 1178 to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy uh, to go over what is God's requirement for church office, the office of elder and deacon. And he lists all of those here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we'll read starting in verse 1. Listen carefully, because this is God's word that is for you. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our text today. Excuse me. Oh, Father, we do thank you for bringing us this passage before us today. Lord, I pray that we would consider it be obedient to it, and love you more because of it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems as though, at least in our own country, we are always in an election cycle. We're either having just come off one, so it's only a thousand or so days before the next one starts, or we're only a year away, so the frenzy has to begin once more. And while we rightly grown the mudslinging and and gossip that comes with the election process, it's actually something that is a great privilege that we have as citizens to choose the leaders that we would have among us. And while it is a privilege, 
It's also a tremendous responsibility. The decisions that we make in the poll booth affect an entire nation of people. So when we're going to go into the nation's pollings here in a few months, we go in there with a sense of responsibility and should be prepared as such. Here in 1 Timothy 3, we are given what the qualifications for leaders in the church and what they should be. Because the Lord has granted a wonderful privilege and responsibility of the congregation, that's y'all, to test and decide on who the leaders of the church should be. Now, we often, in our American ways, like to figure things out for ourselves. What is the things that in the business world that make great leaders? And let's import those ideas back into the church. It's worked for Apple, so why can't it work for the church? Well, we are given something that's far more precious than Apple or Microsoft or any other country or any other company's philosophies. We're being given what God desires for his church. And I'm very careful to say his church, not ours. He is the one who has decided how this is to be run. And if we're going to say that Christ is our Lord, then we need to submit to his requirements for what a leader should look like. Now, as we're going through all of these list requirements, you will notice what is conspicuous by its absence. In all of these things that are listed here, there are some things that we often expect to find on church resumes. Dynamic personality. Someone with previous leadership experience. Someone who is charismatic and able to convince others of the way to go. None of that is in here. What is in here is character. In fact, there is only one ability that's listed in the elders which is able to teach. Everything else comes back to strength of character. One that is formed by transformation of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm going to emphasize today. In your two points, you'll notice it's quite simple, but this sums up what it is that God is looking for for his leaders of his church. And the first is Christ wants character in his elders. Secondly, Christ wants character in his deacons. That's what it is. So let's examine exactly what does that character look like that we can be best able to carry out this responsibility that we've been given. Now, here in the very beginning in verse 1, it says that anyone who aspires to the office desires a noble task. And it is. It is a noble task. And for such, it requires noble characteristics. This is not about the feelings of any individual person as to whether or not they should be considered for this office but as to whether or not they have the qualifications that he lays out for us. Now, you may notice, depending on your translation of the Bible, you'll see in verse 2 talking about an overseer. Sometimes you'll see the word elder, or sometimes, even if you're using an older translation, you might see the word bishop. What's going on here? Well, the words that are behind this English translation 
are pretty much interchangeable when it's talking about overseer versus elder. They're used throughout the scripture, but they're given the same list of qualifications. So, for example, the word here is, is, is episkopos, meaning overseer, or the word elder, which is presbyteros, where we get the term presbyterian. That's how we're known for, is rule by elders. So don't be confused by these things. It's just using the same word to describe, a different word to describe the same job. Now, on to the qualifications that we have. So the first one is to be above reproach. What does this mean? Does this mean that we are looking for a sinless man to be the overseer or, or elder of the church? No. None of us would be qualified if that was the case. But what he is talking about here is we're looking for, for men that are without a scandal, those who don't have a major public offense, because what we're, what we're wanting to do is to make sure we don't give the outside world the chance to mock those and say, it's like, ah, well, they don't care about character over there. No, we do. Now, this is not to say that's something, that, something done in their life before Christ would necessarily disqualify them from office. We, we are a gospel people that do believe in forgiveness and a new chance at life. But what we're wanting to make sure is we're using these elders is that they are known for character and quality of a Christ-following life. So that's what repro above reproach is, but what does it look like? He gives us really a practical understanding of what this looks like. The first, it says, the husband of one wife. Or, if we were to look at this translated literally, a one-woman man. Now, without getting into all the intricacies of what this thing could mean, I was like, well, are they trying to get rid of folks that have married multiple wives? So, no, that wouldn't have been allowed in the Christian community anyway. What he is saying here is the one that you are married to, you are dedicated to. She is the only one in your life. That's what it means to be a one-woman man. You can, this doesn't necessarily mean that if someone was divorced in their past that they're necessarily barred from the office. You'd need to work through exactly what the situation was. But this is to, to mean even those that haven't been divorced before, if it's clear that their wife is not their priority, if it's clear that they are not dedicated to their spouse, to their wife, even if they've never been divorced before, this would be a disqualification. This shows the importance that the church gives the primacy to the family. Indeed, we'll see how this plays out a little bit more later. The qualifications that are coming up here are somewhat self-explanatory. One doesn't want a leader who is not sober, who doesn't know how to be serious, there are a lot of things that come up in the office of elder. There are a lot of issues that they need to be dealt with and serious issues to navigate. Please, please be praying for your elders. It's a hard job. And one needs to know how to take that thing seriously. The next is we don't want someone to be impulsive or doesn't know how to control one's own emotions. We want this person to be hospitable because there's going to be a lot of that in this task, willing to let others into their home. Can't be an abrasive person given to a lot of conflict, both online and off. He is going to be pushed and challenged. 
in the position that he's given here. And if his default response is abrasive words or actions, that's not someone who is qualified to be a leader in a church. Finally, you'll, you'll notice the first one seems pretty obvious. We don't want to be a drunkard, someone who is given over or addicted to alcohol. But there's something else that they have here that in America we're not as quick to pick up on. It's the end of verse 3, who's not a lover of money. This is difficult in an affluent society where a lot of success is tied up with how much money you have. And a lot of times we look at someone who is rich and ambitious as the same thing as a faithful Christian. Now, this isn't to say that someone who is rich is a bad Christian. I'm not saying that. You can be wealthy and use your wealth well. But if your heartbeat, if your sense of worth, your sense of importance comes from your money, then you're not ready to lead the church yet. Because that's not what this is about. Someone who is a lover and a truster of money is often not, as I say often, someone who is a lover of money who trusts in money, is not a truster in Christ. Someone who looks to money to get things done is not going to have the humility necessary to look to Christ to lead his church. This is an important point that gets often passed over and is difficult for people to ask. We've been trained in America not to ask people about how they view their finances. But in here, this is a part of that qualification. And it's important for us to factor in. Now, as we go on in verse 4, we are given the testing ground for someone's position here in this role. How do they lead their home? Paul is extremely practical here. When he talks about managing his household well, which would include his children being disciplined and submissive to him. And he asks in verse 5, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? It's a very practical thing. Now, the word for children here is talking about those that are still under your church, still, still under your home's roof. He is not saying that if you have done your best with your children, but they have grown up and have decided to go another way, that's not something that is in your control any further. We remember that salvation is of the Lord. We are called to give the gospel to our children, but we cannot save our children. So this does not disqualify someone who has a wayward adult child. But we would look to someone who isn't able to manage the household well and actually, out of kindness to them, not put more on their plate. Say, this is, you're not in this season yet. Take this time to learn how to manage your home well, because this is your first calling. This is something that is, has been true even for me. I've always looked to my family as my first ministry. The church is very important to me, but my family is the most important. As one pastor told me, and this applies to the role of elder as well, you can always get another ministry. You can't get another family. You're called to this first. And that's not just a matter of practical advice. This is what Paul lists out as well. Many reformers throughout the years have called the home the little seminary. The place where people are trained not only to know, 
but to love God. So this is where we look to first. As we continue on in verse 6, the rule of the elder, the ruler of the church, the leader, verse 6, it says, You must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is something we have seen, unfortunately, played out many times. There have been numerous podcasts dedicated to this very phenomenon. We get attracted to young men that have a dynamic personality, who are able to lead crowds, and we get distracted by that. We don't give the time to see that these characteristics are being formed in them. Or when we see these characteristics missing, we make excuses for it. And this leads to disaster again and again and again. The trouble is we tend not to see disaster show up immediately. And in fact, what we'll usually see first is tremendous, as we define it, success. The church grows. There's lots of programs. There are thousands of people. There are many downloads. All of these things that we look to as as metrics for success are not what we see here. Character takes a while to form and even longer to see. So someone who has just yesterday learned who Jesus is and has converted their lives to them, they're not ready to be made into leadership yet. We don't want to put that kind of target on their back yet. Because being a leader means that you're going to have a target on your back. To be well prepared for this role means to have the strength of character given by Christ. And that doesn't come overnight. It's well worth considering. And then finally, as we look at verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now, what this means is that he has a good reputation outside of the church. This is a wonderful test, because people are able to put on a mask once a week, or even a couple times a week. But if you're able to go to their place of employment and find out that he's the same person at work as he is at the church, that's a huge factor. Now, does this mean that if you, that it's like, well, if he's going to be well thought of by outsiders, then does this mean that he's compromising the truth? That if he's liked by sinners out there, that he must be some sort of compromiser in some way? No. I've had the opportunity to disagree with people and still get along with them. And that's still possible. Well, we're saying well thought of by outsiders, it means that even those who know him better than we could, he's still seen as, oh yeah, I could see that man leading a church because he's living out what he says here, even if they disagree with what those principles are. Now, all of this that we've looked at so far is the qualifications for the elder. We see throughout Scripture, 1 Peter 5, I think it's in Hebrews 12 as well, calling for submission to the elders. The elders are given the privilege and the burden of leading the church, making the decisions as to where we go and what we do, always being guided by the Word of God. This is never saying, all right, these are the men that are going to come up with, and whatever innovations they decide on, Whether it's scriptural or not, this is what we're going to do. Our final authority is always the scripture, and the elders are under that as well. But it's a high calling and responsibility. 
I'm here to preach the word to you, to lay out what the scriptures say. But these men that in a few weeks that you will be electing, these are the ones that will decide how that's done. That's a very sobering thing. Many people will look at my position and assume, because it's the popular way in which it's done in America, is that the pastor is the CEO. He's the one calling the shots. I'm not. I'm the moderator of our board meetings, or session meetings as we call them in PCA. I don't vote in those. I can say, here's what I think the scriptures say, but ultimately these are the men that are going to take that responsibility to lead. So pray for them. It's a hard job. I've sat in, I've been in those meetings. It's tough. It's a heavy responsibility. So be prayerful as you're thinking about these qualifications and candidates. Now, I will also say, the qualified elder, more often than not, is going to look at that list of requirements and say, oh, no, not me. And there is a certain amount to which that's healthy. There is no one who is going to perfectly embody all of these characteristics constantly. But for the one who is moving in this direction, for the one that we can see this most in their lives, that's what we're going for. And by the way, this is not then calling, well, it's like, well, this is the qualification for upper-tier Christianity, but the rest of us, we don't have to do that. The rest of us, we can love our money, we can, you know, we don't have to be faithful to our spouses, you know, that's for the leaders. No. This is qualifications for all of us. All of us should desire to have these things be a part of our lives because the same spirit that's ruling in the elders' lives is in yours, or should be. And the Holy Spirit produces the same fruit. That's why we see in Galatians 5, we don't see a two-tier Christianity. Your gold level and your silver. That's not the case. We're all striving for these things. But as for those in whom we've seen this shine forth the most, those are the ones that we prayerfully consider choosing for that election. Now, I've spent the most time looking at the qualifications for elder, but that's not then to say that the role of deacon or that office is unimportant. The only reason is, is that most of these qualifications overlap. The only difference, as I said, as I said again, is when we're looking in the office, of, office of, of elder, they are called to be able to teach. And here in deacons, that's not given. Because the role is, of elder is to be proclaiming the gospel, have a very good grasp of that and be able to teach it. And as we look into the deacons, we'll see a lot of the same sorts of roles. Now, what does the word deacon mean? Sometimes we get a lot of churchy words that we just kind of throw around and we forget that they mean something or they came from somewhere. The word deacon means servant. And we see their office was formed in Acts chapter 6. When the elders are proclaiming God's word, but there are physical needs that were being ignored. The church was growing so quickly, it started out as 120 people, with a handful of guys to be able to do that. But as we see as Acts progresses on, we're getting into the three and 5,000 person mark, and there's no way you can keep up with all those people. We're not just spiritual beings either, trapped in some sort of physical form. The Lord has made us both spiritual and physical people. And as such, both sides of us need to be ministered to. So the Lord has decided he's going to divide up 
and say, the elders are going to be managing this aspect of our personhood, and the deacons are going to be managing that aspect of our personhood, the spiritual and the physical. Can you see why we need both? Or that one is not more important than the other? They're given different responsibilities, yes. Different levels of authority, yes. But they're both extremely important. To ignore one is to ignore both. So that's why even in the list of deacons, which we tend to think, oh, well, you know, they're, they're upkeeping the building. We don't need people really character qualified for that. Yes, we do. So we see them listed out there as we just read earlier. The deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. We saw again, not greedy for dishonest gain, the love of money like we saw earlier. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Do you know who the first deacon of the church was or one of the first deacons? It was Stephen. Do you want to know what kind of a grasp of the gospel that the deacon is expected to have? Look at the sermon that he gives to the religious leaders of Israel before he is killed for said witness. That's what we're looking for. This is a high calling. This is not something we do on the weekend. Being called into the officership of the Lord's church is a sobering thing to consider. And then he continues on in verse 11. It says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then he gets on here in verse 12 again. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, just like we saw earlier, managing their children and their own households well, as we saw earlier. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So here we see these qualifications for elder and deacon overlap, calling for similar character, but given different responsibilities. In Acts 6, they were assigned to make sure that the widows had food. That's a really important job. And the same applies here. The deacons are to be thoughtful for the poor and how it is that we can manage our funds so that the poor are never ignored, both in and outside as much as we're able of the church. And the elders are called to direct how it is, the directions that we're going and how those things are to be done. It's a great responsibility. Now, there's one more controversy that we need to take a look at. And this is depending on your translation. When we look at verse 11, it says, their wives likely, and some translate, translations instead of wives put woman. And some have said, oh, does this mean that women are to be deacons as well? Well, if we're to look at this passage, it'd be difficult to say everything that needs to be said about this. Uh, I post my sermon manuscripts on our website, and I'd usually do that um, Monday, and I'll have the fuller treatment there because we're already kind of butting up on a half an hour. But I do want to address this because so often this is misunderstood. What we see here in all of these qualifications is overwhelming emphasis on masculine pronouns. And the reason for that is because these offices both are restricted to men. Now, 
This does not mean that the church views women as less. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that male and female are created in the image of God. Both are equal in the sight of God. The reason why it has been put in this way is because what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And Paul makes that point later on, saying that because Eve took of the fruit first, as part of that result of the fall, now it's going to be men that are going to be restricted to this office. Again, this is not to say, as some have tried to argue, like, well, Paul wrote this at this time because women were uneducated then. It's like Paul didn't say this because he thought women were stupid or that they were unable to be educated. He said this because this is what Christ has told him to do. Now, this does not mean, then, that because women are unable to be elders and deacons in the church, it does not mean that there's nothing then that they can do, or that there's nothing worthwhile that they can do. There is so many avenues for even those who have teaching gifts to do so. The internet has allowed possibilities for blogs, podcasts, books, Sunday school materials. All of these things are still possible for women to do and are encouraged to do so in other places of Scripture. They are called to teach other women and children. As we see, I think it's in Titus. This is the calling for them. There is a place for everyone to serve the Lord in his church. It is only our American approach to things that the person in charge is the only one worth something. And that's an American interpretation back into what the scriptures are saying. It is not just because they're the ones in charge that means that they're the ones that are the only important people. Jesus has always looked to those that were unnoticed, doing the lowly things. He is always rewarded so well. I think we are going to be surprised when we come to the end of days and Jesus is handing out rewards in heaven that there will be pastors who have far fewer rewards than the nursery worker. And I don't say that humorously. I mean that. There are going to be, I, I remember, I can, I can say, his, say his name, he has departed here, but in my church growing up, there was, there was an elderly man, his name was Harold Adderhold. He was the most unnoticeable person in the church. But I had the privilege of living across the street from the church, so I could see what was going on those days, and I was amazed how often his car was there fixing little things. He wasn't even a deacon. It's just what he did. Never looking for thanks, never looking for notice, would always come when no one else was there to be able to do his work quietly unto the Lord. I think Mr. Adderhold has gone to a wonderful reward. Even though he never stood behind a pulpit, never taught a Sunday school class, was never even considered for church office. He was just there, serving Jesus however he could. That's the heart of a Christian. That's what we're called to here. It's one who is focused not on our personal satisfaction with where we are in the church, but in Jesus' glory. I've been listening to an audio book recently about Jonathan Edwards and describing one of the duties of the minister, or the ruling elder, or even the deacon, or all of us really, 
is to show God's beauty. We often hear about shepherd and under-shepherd, but he uses the term beautifier and under-beautifier. We are called to show the world the beauty of our God. That's the calling for church office, especially, but that's a church calling for us all. So if you're here today and say, well, I'm not able to do this kind of work, that's okay. The Lord has chosen whom he is going to have to lead his church. It's a wonderful comfort. So what we do from here is we trust in the Lord. He is the ultimate leader of the church. We are always looking to him. The church is never going to live or die based on the pastor. Thank heavens. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And our calling to his church is not because this is something that grandma did or trying to preserve a feature of the community. The church has been formed because the Son of God came to earth, lived the life that we were supposed to live, and then spilled his blood for his church. It's not a feature of the community. It is a proclamation of a new kingdom. So we take this seriously. We take this with prayer. Dependence on Jesus. That's what we do from here. As we prepare to fill out cards and examine men. That's what we're looking for is what we see here listed. Doing so only for the glory of God. Not the officer's personal satisfaction. Or our satisfaction with his performance. So long as he is upholding what God's word says. So pray. Not only for those who might be considered, but for those who are already in this role. Please keep us in your prayers. We need them. That is your ministry to us. So that we in obedience to Ephesians 4, can help train you for the work of the ministry. We're not electing guys to then be professional Christians. We are electing guys so that we can follow and imitate them as they imitate Christ. We're not outsourcing ministry over there. We are lifting up those who are already doing this work. Learn from them and their practical example so that we can lead others to Jesus as well. So that's my plea to you today. Please be in prayer for us. Please be in prayer for these men. And be in prayer for how you might be qualified to serve in Christ's church. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much for this passage that challenges our modern notions of authority. So help us to submit to it. Help us to love 
your church and the way that you have called for it to be set up. Oh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.